2 to 17. Starting at verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray together and ask the Spirit to lead us in our study this morning. Holy God, we come to you this morning. We know this is your word, inspired by the Spirit of God to lead us into righteousness and fruitful discipleship. We pray this morning that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, and that you would give us understanding that our minds may, may be renewed that our hearts may be transformed and our deeds may be in line with your will, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, church, whether it be in the latest movie that you've watched or the reality of the local evening news, maybe through the video games that are often played by children these days or the book genre that has been captivating many, the reality of murder is prevalent and alive in our world today. It's all around us, even here in the Ottawa Valley. And studies have shown that no doubt that being exposed to murder, whether it be actual murder or fictional in a movie, has actually desensitized us to the nature and horror of the act itself. That murder has become a common reality of life, and we hear about it, and it's awful, and it must be judged, but it's normal. And we become desensitized to it. But whether society glorifies it or not, or treats it just as a normal offense that happens, this morning as we turn to the scriptures, we're reminded of just why the act of murder is so horrific. Because it's something that is disgusting and offensive, not only to those who it robs of life, the families and the friends of the victims that are taken from us, but ultimately it offends the very God who is the author of life. It violates his will and his purpose 
for creation. So here in these Ten Commandments, we see that God's will for His people and His creation is that they shall not murder. In fact, in the Hebrew, it literally just says, no murder. So this morning we need to address from the Word of God why murder is so detestable in God's sight. Why it offends Him so much. Secondly, we need to address the different types and forms of murder which violate this commandment. And thirdly, address issues where the scriptures say murder or killing is actually just. And in this case, the commandment is not violated. So today is a very heavy subject. And so I pray the Lord will give us wisdom and understanding into the reality of you shall not murder. Starting with why murder is detestable in God's sight. The scriptures say that human life is sacred. All of human life, every race, every person, no matter what society may say, the scriptures say that all of human life is sacred. If you don't believe this, we fail to recognize the truth in Genesis 1 and 2 that God made man and female in his image. See, unlike all of the other creation, humanity is unique in that God has placed a special value and affection upon them. They were made in his image, created to be vessels which reflected him, his beauty, and the greatness of their creator. In what ways, we may ask, are we made in the image of God? Well, the first thing is relationships. As we see the Trinity and the beautiful relationship they have with one another, our relationship in family and friends and society reflects the relationship experienced by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Creative power, the ability to make things, whether it be children through sexual relations, or the ability to create art or beauty, a reflection of the great Creator. The reality that we've been given dominion over the earth reflects the great sovereignty and dominion that God has over all things. And so we're created in His image, and as a result, the Holy Trinity has an incredible love for humanity. The psalmist has difficulty understanding this in Psalm 8, verse 3, when he writes, When I consider your heavens, And the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings, you care for them. So the psalmist is saying, look around at all the beautiful realities of creation. And we've all seen it, whether it's the Madawaska River or Mountains out in B.C., whatever it may be, we look and say, that's beautiful. But the scriptures say that God values humanity more than anything else in creation. Because humanity reflects His image. And so out of this deep love for humanity, we see the Father giving the Son in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... This valuing of humanity led to the great rescue of the gospel. Where we should be sent to hell and it would be 100% just for us to just be sent to hell. God's love and his passionate love for humanity 
causes the great plan of redemption. And so when murder takes place, not only is someone attacking God's sovereignty and that he alone has the right to bring life and take down to the grave, as he says in 1 Samuel 3, verse 6, but they are ultimately attacking the valued creation that God so passionately loves. And it's detestable and wrong in his sight. But we see murder everywhere. The reality of sin. The sinful nature that all humanity has through Adam. The rebellion towards God's authority and his reign. The rejection of his design causes people to no longer live in accordance with a love for God. But they no longer live with a love for neighbor. And so, now we see murder. Shortly after the fall in Genesis 4, what do we see take place with Cain and Abel? The reality of murder. A lack of love for God and a lack of love for neighbor. All attributed to sinful nature. And murder has been something that's been part of depraved sinful nature ever since. Reflecting the devil whom they have bowed down to who the scriptures call a murderer from the beginning. The very enemy who doesn't want to value God's ways or life, but seek to kill and destroy. And murder is not something that is just an act that can be committed by unbelievers. We even see God's own people capable of it in the Old Testament. Moses, David. But, in light of sin's issues, now we insert the gospel of Christ. Through the work of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the Spirit's empowerment, now Christ draws his people back to God's original attention and love for neighbor by teaching that murder shall not be a part of our lives. But as we love God the way we were created to love God, as we love our neighbor the way we were created to love our neighbor, one of the ways we're going to shine in this world where murder is rising is that we will not participate or tolerate the act. Because we love God and we love our neighbor and we love humanity the way God loves humanity. So murder is offensive to God for these reasons. We have to address the reality of sin and why there is so much murder around us in the world today. But the gospel calls us back to love for God and love for neighbor. And therefore, we are people that do not tolerate murder. Second question. What then is the murder that is forbidden through this commandment? And we have to ask this question because, as I said, the third point is going to be what forms of killing in the scriptures are considered just. So the second question is what forms are not considered just? And God holds people accountable to violating this commandment if they engage in these forms of killing. According to the scriptures, and as Alistair Begg writes in his Ten Commandments book, this commandment is speaking against the deliberate, predetermined, unlawful, and malicious taking of life. Sinners, depraved in nature, have been engaging in deliberate, predetermined, unlawful, and malicious taking of life. And God says to his people, this is not my intention for creation, this is not my intention for you. So with that said, what are some examples of murder in this way that have existed throughout history and that continue to exist outside our doors today? 
The first and most obvious one is the reality of homicide. The deliberate taking of one another's life, whether it be personally motivated or not towards specific targets, whether it be motivated by racism or religion, homicide is a form of murder that violates this commandment, and we can't seem to escape seeing it. That's why many people decided, that I know decide not to turn the evening news on, because they're sick of seeing it. There always seems to be shootings, and they always seem to get worse. Remember when I was in school and the big school shooting that was Columbine? Now Columbine seems like a small shooting compared to the things that have happened in recent years. Stabbings, whatever it may be, mass casualties only seem to rise. And we're not just talking about what we see south in the States. In Canada in 2017, 660 homicides. 7% higher than the year before and the highest it has ever been. In fact, in 2019, if you go to the Ottawa Byward Market, there's been a couple there already this year as well. And every single one of these homicides, the living creator of the universe has seen and has detested because it has attacked his creation made in his image and those whom he loves. We hear about it on the news and say, oh, another tragedy, how sad. And God is raging with anger. Because we may not have known those people in the news, but God knows them. They are made in his image, and he loves them. It's for them that Christ has come. So homicide. A word to Christian parents. Don't think that allowing your children to engage in fake killing isn't going to affect them. We must teach on the reality that all murder, whether it's joking on a video game or in real life, is something that should not be tolerated or promoted. But as the people of God, we should be walking away from that. So homicide is a real reality. Now we're going to get into some things that perhaps are a little more difficult. And by difficult, I mean because there seems to be more discussion about them not only in society, but even in the church. And so it's important that we clear them up from a scriptural understanding this morning. The first one is the reality of abortion. Now once again, as in the case of dealing with homosexuality, we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is a situation where the church has seriously dropped the ball. You know, church, we're not called to go to abortion clinics with signs and say, God hates you and you're going to hell. And furthermore, this is just a matter of personal opinion, but neither do we simply march down streets in protest. It's all utterly pointless unless we as the people of God lovingly open our mouths and in grace share the reason why abortion is murder. Before we get to that, we have to acknowledge the pro-choice group. 
See, the church points the fingers, and the reality is many in this group are not believers. We point the finger at them and say, you're wrong. What are you doing is wrong, wrong, wrong. But here's the reality. Have we forgotten their spiritual condition? What are we expecting? They're operating in the mindset that they are in charge of the body and destiny. And that since human life doesn't have a maker who gave them purpose and design, why then does it matter? So we shouldn't be shocked by the arguments or the behavior. It's failing to recognize the depravity of sinful minds. Now they argue, well, it's not murder because the kids aren't born yet. So they're not human. Yes, we disagree with homicide, but these children aren't even born yet. Or at least have an abortion before the child rightly develops. Lots of different views, lots of different debates going on. The question this morning we have to address is, is there ever a time that it's appropriate to abort? Ever a time. Now, apart from the science, which the science itself recently has shown that babies, fetuses, have heartbeats, they have brain waves, and they can feel pain, which only beings that are alive can experience. The scriptures and ultimately the authoritative rule that we stand upon says there is never a time in which it is appropriate. Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb. Psalm 139. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Why? Because in the womb, God knit me together. See, we need to be speaking up for the fact that while a child is being carried in the womb. There is a divine act that is going on. God is involved in the process of babies being made, believe it or not. It's not just a mom and dad thing. There's a divine way in which he is knitting together and he is forming. And so any abortion, no matter what stage it may be, is attacking that very divine work. Now, it's a mystery. Are we meant to explain the mystery in the fullness of sense? No. But the scriptures are pretty clear that ever since conception, God is involved. It is life. It is development. And therefore, we have no right to interfere with Him who alone has the right to give life and alone has the right to bring down to the grave. The World Health Organization has released a survey. Any idea how many babies have been aborted every year for the past few years? I guess it's 40 to 50 million. Hundred and twenty five thousand every single day. 
hope this makes you feel uncomfortable. Because just because it may be legal in the eyes of the law, that means 40 to 50 million people a year are murdering according to God's law. And so may we as the people of God who are called to speak out against sin not go in an angry and hateful way to these people, but may the Spirit give us the ability to rise up and speak the truth. It may not become something that we become desensitized to, May it be something that angers us just like it angers God, and may we seek to deal with it in grace and love. So abortion, God is knitting together. He is forming every child in the womb. We have no right to interfere. The second issue, I said it's a heavy sermon, it's getting heavier. The reality of euthanasia or assisted suicide or dying with dignity. I grew up in Dresden, Ontario, which many people confuse with Dryden. I've never been to Dryden, but I grew up in Dresden. But I remember as a young kid watching the evening news at my grandparents when we would get the news from Detroit because we were so close. And the hot topic was the reality of a court case involving a man famously known as Dr. Death whose real name was Dr. Jack Kevorkian, who assisted in the assisted suicides, though it was not legal at the time, of around 130 patients in the state of Michigan. Now, he was charged with second-degree murder because the states recognized it was wrong. But now, let's insert this fine nation of Canada in which we live. Now, following the wonderful example of the Netherlands, it has been legalized and made a reality and finally providing Canadians with relief and the answer to the question that what do we do in hospitals and nursing homes when older patients are, are terminally ill and old? Assisted suicide of medically ending one's life with the aid of doctors is an excellent way for people to die with dignity. My brother's a doctor, and I'm fully aware of the fact that what's going on in the medical world, that even if doctors disagree with this, they require by law to make recommendations to another doctor who will carry out the task. And if you don't, you're in danger of losing your license. But to the medical field, who gives you the right to do that? Once again, the scriptures, 1 Samuel 3, verse 6, Revelation, Jesus who holds the, the keys of death and Hades and life. God alone has the right to give life, and God alone has the right to take it away. And every time that even a medical official who assists in such a way is attacking the sovereignty of God in this way, 
So no matter what reason may be given, no matter what argument with emotion you can make, I once participated in a debate at the hospital about this. It wasn't very much of a debate. It was more of this is the way it's going to be, sit down and shut up. But there's another issue that's at hand with this. If you are saying, if you're promoting, yes, well, you're terminally ill, you're sick, you have the right to die with dignity. What are you saying? Your purpose, your meaning, your overall existence is defined by your health. Completely forgetting the fact that there is a creator who has made you. A Christ who has come to redeem you, who works for the good in all circumstances, no matter what's going on. It's not based on your circumstance, who you are. And a lot of people, and I I was talking to a pastor last month who had a person in his own congregation go through this. People think it's an escape. Well, get me out of there, get me out of there. But it's actually even a sign of depravity because if you know the gospel, where are you going to stand? Before the throne of God. To one day face judgment for either not trusting in Christ or trusting in Christ. And there's a lot of people in our world today that aren't trusting in Christ that think death is the answer. And it's not. And so, as a church, those who have been trusted with the gospel, may we be proclaiming, may we not be silent in these debates. But speaking is saying there is hope, there is purpose, there is meaning that can be found even in the darkest of nights, even when your health is not good. There is a hope, and a hope beyond the grave. And patience, once again, goes to the reality of God's sovereignty. You don't have the right to take your life. And all those who are engaging in that act ultimately commit the third form of murder, which we're talking about now, is the reality of suicide. In Canada last year, 4,157 suicides. Why? People want to escape. Clinical depression. Lack of hope. Nothing to live for. Many reasons. But again, the scriptures, despite the many reasons, the reality is it's still wrong. It's still sin. It's still a form of murder. Here's the other thing that has to be addressed properly and sensitively. Suicide is something that believers can struggle with too. Sometimes if you hear about a believer who has committed suicide or is struggling with suicidal thoughts, the church quickly jumps in and says, boy, you're lacking faith, bud, aren't you? But it's a reality. If you don't think it's a reality, then you have read Jonah. Throw me into the sea. Why? So I can swim with my life jacket and be rescued by someone? Oh, so I can die.
It's a real reality. We better be able to recognize this and deal with this appropriately, not condemn people for suicidal thoughts. So these are tough subjects. Abortion, euthanasia, suicide, homicide. Now it's time to insert some hope. Insert the gospel of Christ. Before we go any further, these things are tough. They are all sins. They are all violations of his command. Yes, we cannot ignore that. But the reality is the power of the gospel can meet all of these violations and offer forgiveness. Those who are guilty of homicide can be forgiven by the great grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have committed abortion can be forgiven by the great grace of Jesus Christ. Part of the responsibility of the Church of Christ in this world is not just to go out and speak abortion, but to offer the grace and mercy that is available in Christ to those who have suffered through it. Reality of suicide. Well, some are going to say this. Well, suicide, that suicide can't be forgivable in Christ. They never had a chance to ask for forgiveness. I had a classmate at Tyndale Almost the last couple years I was there, committed suicide. And there were some that would say, hey, well, he, did, he denounced the faith. Tonight he is in hell. Let me try to say something as sensitively as possible. Every time I hear a pastor or someone say that someone who has committed suicide, who was a believer, has forfeited the birth, forfeited their salvation, they seriously do not understand the power of the cross. They do not understand the promise that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Even when you are faithless and you go into a moment where there's a struggle and you do something wrong, like there have been many pastors even that I have known who have killed themselves, Even in those weak moments, do not think that Christ's grip on you is any looser than it was before. And every time you get out and you say, that person forfeited salvation, that is not the gospel. And how many families have had to go through those experiences where the church has not preached the gospel to them, but has been preaching the voice of the enemy, saying, no, I don't know, he forfeited the faith, he forfeited the faith, he's saved! Period. Families have been torn apart because of the denial of the power of the cross. We're not saying it's right. We're not saying, well, you're covered in grace anyway, buddy. It's all right. We're not saying that. But even when we are faithless, even in our last moments, even if we mess up royally, If you've been purchased by Christ, you belong to Christ. So it's time that we as the people of God spoke the truth rather than getting in arguments and causing people to deny the power of the gospel. I think the reality of this message and why it's so disturbing is because it reminds us of the fact that outside our community there are people that are broken. 
there's a lack of love for humanity, there's a lack of love for each other, there's a lack of love for God. I'm praying that as a congregation, the Spirit of God will empower us to go out and be a mighty army of hope in this community. A mighty army of hope in our workplaces, a mighty army of hope in our families, a mighty army of hope in our schools, whatever it may be. So those who are struggling with temptations of suicide or whatever it may be, or abortion or whatever it may be, would find hope and healing in Christ. Those who are guilty of violating those things would find forgiveness in the saving name of Christ. May we be the voice that speaks the truth. Now, the next thing is you may say, well, pastor, this is a very uncomfortable sermon, and boy, it breaks my heart, and I hope it does, because it breaks the heart of God. But it's not very practical for me, because nothing here ever applied to me. I don't struggle with homicide, I don't struggle with suicide, I haven't committed abortion, and I don't participate in euthanasia, so not very practical for me. Well, you're not off the hook yet. Because Jesus talks about this commandment in Matthew 5, verse 21 to 22. Let me read this to you. You've heard it said long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in a danger of fire of hell. One of the amazing and disturbing realities of Jesus expanding and teaching on this law in the gospel is that he, he shows us the heart of the matter. He said, you may think I'm okay because I've never committed this act. But let me tell you about an issue that this man also speaks to, which if you are not addressing And if you are not careful with, you are closer to committing the act than you think. The reality is tolerating behavior or situations in our life, emotions or feelings, that are feelings that ultimately lead to the act of murder. You ever had a real serious argument with somebody at work before and you said to yourself, I'd like to just hurt that guy. Give me peace in my mind. You ever called somebody an idiot in anger? You know what the Hebrew word raka means? Idiot. You ever communicated to somebody in a way that you desire revenge, or vengeance, strong hatred, you want to destroy them and take them down with gossip? This is a sin that God detests and that this commandment begins to address. Because, yes, you may have not actually committed the act of murder, but if these things remain unchecked in your life, you're pretty close and you don't even realize it. Thinking, what? No, I'm not. My anger is never going to lead to murder. Trust me. I got it under control. What did Cain, when he kills his brother, what did this start with? I'm going to kill my brother today. No. Anger. You know, if you, I know someone in the, in the ministerial who works with people in prison. Some of them who are guilty of homicide. 
What are they going to say to you? Well, boy, I woke up in the morning and I said, today I'm going to go kill someone. No. What did it start with? Untolerated anger. Untolerated frustration. Unchecked. They didn't deal with it. So therefore, if these things are things that lead to murder and belong to the family of murder, they're not to be any part of our lives. Christians aren't meant to go around and be angry with one another. Not meant to hold grudges. Not meant to call each other idiots with hatred. That's what we're called to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to sacrifice and serve for one another. Therefore, do not go down to sleep while you are still angry. So no, we're not saying that if you call someone an idiot, you're guilty of breaking the law of murder. That's not the point. What Jesus is saying is these things, believe it or not, can lead to them. And if you think you can tolerate them, first of all, you don't know how they offend God. And second of all, you don't know the power of the sinful nature that is within you. So we must be on guard against that. Last thing, just murder examples. So cases where in the Bible God does not hold you accountable to breaking the law. Even though death happened, it's not considered a violation of the commandment. Now this is a tough subject and we're going to explore it more through newsletters and articles because I can only do so much of it today. But the first example is the reality of accidental killings. Or you didn't mean to kill someone, whether it be a self-defense or a tragic accident. You're, you're, your life's in danger, you're being threatened. Or it's a tragic accident. You know, a few years ago, there was a worship leader named Stephen Curtis Chapman. And they were in the driveway, and the son was learning to drive, and he backed up, and he ran over his younger sister, and she died. Is he guilty of breaking the commandment? According to the Word of God, No. In fact, in Leviticus 19, in the Old Testament, the cities of refuge you see provided a safe haven for those who were guilty of accidental killings. They were to be protected, they were to be guarded against to help care for them. Whether it be a tragic accident or the result of self-defense, this was not treated as murder in the scriptures. And our court system should be reflecting the same. That's the first thing, accidental killings. Second, this one's loaded, capital punishment. Is it scriptural? Well, you cannot read the scriptures and say that there is no such thing as capital punishment in the scriptures. In fact, the Old Testament law demanded that many sins resulted in capital punishment. But the overall purpose and the consistent theme throughout the law was that those who were guilty of deliberate murder were to be put to death as a result. Now some will say, well, the judicial law is done. Christ died to fulfill the death required for sin, so grace, grace and love is now to be exercised. Except... 
prior to the law, even before the law was given, the Lord said to, Moses, to Noah sorry, in Genesis 9, verse 6, an important truth that was to govern and guard their society. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For, in the image of God, has God made mankind. And you say, once again, Pastor, Old Testament, bring in the grace, bring in the truth, bring in the hope, bring in the love. Okay, New Testament. What is the thief on the cross beside Jesus experiencing? Capital punishment. Jesus did not say to the man, Well, my good news to you is that today the gospel means you're going to be taken down from this cross and you won't have to answer for your crimes. No. He faces the capital punishment and the gospel is the problem that even in the midst of answering for the crimes that you have committed, the gospel still offers you everlasting life and forgiveness. So even though you're facing this, today you shall be with me in paradise. Furthermore, Romans 13 verse 4 and 1 Peter 2.14, governments are ordained by God to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. And in Romans 13.4, it says the government, as given and ordained by God, does not bear the sword in vain. Now, what in the world is the sword? In the Roman culture, it's death. The scriptures testify that God has given governments the ability to keep peace and to keep justice by carrying out the sword, but not in vain. Now, here's the thing. The point of the message today is to show you it's there. The tough part now is how it's going to look practically. So it's not abused. So it's not mistreated. You know, in the states right now, the stats are that if you are a black man, the chance of you dying on death row is 50% greater than if you were a white man. There's ways in which sin comes and begins to hinder. But the reality is the, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, does so that God has ordained capital punishment in an appropriate way of judging those who have committed murder with the principle that they have violated God's image by attacking humanity. It's not to be done with retribution, with anger, but for the sake of justice. And so, once, I, once again, this is the beginning of the conversation, because there's some people who say, I, I don't agree with that. Okay. But we can't ignore the fact that it's in the scriptures, both old and new. And so the reality is, we have to figure out and pray for wisdom of how that carries out and looks like. Third example, just war. It's pretty clear from the Old Testament that in Exodus 20, God gives, God gives the instruction, you shall not kill 
And you get to Numbers, and God's just ordering the slaughtering of everyone. You're thinking, boy, all right, you shall not kill, and if you kill, you be put to death. But here, go and slaughter everyone. There's examples in the Old Testament of wars which are considered just in the eyes of God. Not wars which are seeking to attack or just carry out unjust hatred, but to defend good and holy truths. And for this, there's continuing much conversation and debate. Augustine, the church father, wondered why, if the rejection of military force was so crucial to one's faith in God, men such as David, the centurion of the Gospels, and Cornelius and the soldiers who came to John the Baptist were not told to renounce their occupation. And in several cases were even held out as examples of faith. Augustine saw that Christianity was not incompatible with war, but was to influence it toward the proper methods and ends. Peace should be the object of your desire. War should be waged only as a necessity. Violence may be necessary at times in our fallen world to protect the innocent and to fulfill the command to love one's neighbor. These are big topics. The reality is there are all examples of just killings in the scripture. And so like I said, we're going to explore this more through newsletters and talk about the reality of just war, talk about the reality of capital punishment and accidental killing, manslaughter, all these things. The purpose of giving the just murders is not so you think, oh, there's a way that I can kill someone and get away with it. That's not the purpose. Ultimately, the reality is we are a gospel people. We are the family of God called to love humanity as God loves humanity. So therefore, we shall not murder. You need to speak up against homicide, speak up against abortion, speak up against euthanasia, speak up against suicide, and offer comfort and hope to those who are victims in Christ. And we also need to deal with our anger and our frustration. That our sinful nature may not get a hold, that we may end up violating that without even knowing that we're going to. It's important. So it's a tough subject, and I pray that God gives us wisdom and understanding so that we can truly fulfill the call, commandment, we shall not murder. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the fact that as uncomfortable and tough as this subject is, we thank you that your word is not silent to it. We pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom. Lord, that we would be a voice to speak up against murder in our culture. That we would value all life as sacred, created in the image of God. But I pray that we would deal with our anger by the Spirit and learn to be people who love and forgive, not tolerate the emotions that lead to murder. And Father, I pray you give us wisdom in the tough conversations, even of just murder, which exists because of a fallen world. But help us be people who can communicate your truth in an effective and godly manner to a world that needs the hope of the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our hymn of response, There is a Redeemer.
grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, be with us in truth and in love. Go in peace. Thank you.